0: Hello, and welcome to BA Brew. I'm Mike. Hello, I'm Steve. And I'm Pete. And today we are talking about non-functional requirements. This was a subject that was suggested to us uh, by Steve. So, Steve, could you tell us why you thought this was a, a, a sensible subject to talk about on the BA Brew?
1: Yes, uh, thanks. I um, It came about because, uh, I don't know if people remember it, probably close to two years ago now, but... Um, it hit the news that there was a problem with the test and trace um, system, as as it was called there, um, where something like 16,000 records uh, were missing. And um, there was a lot of chatter on things like uh, radio talking shows and such like and people saying, oh, they shouldn't have picked Excel and they didn't test it properly and things like that. And I sat there and I thought, I don't know that it is about Excel or about um, testing. It sounded like to me um, that because they'd been doing this quite rapidly and understandably, they were you know under the cost share um, that they hadn't really realised how many records they were going to have to capture, and they hadn't realised how many records Excel or the version of Excel they had, were able to um, were able to hold at any one time. Um, So it may not have been that. And by the way, if anybody's listening and is working on this project, I'm not here to have a go. I've worked on some pretty tough projects myself and and people have to make um, rapid calls. But it sounded like an all-functional requirements thing. And I come across sites nowadays that, um, I'm trying to put it delicately, sometimes you find um, that the BA is think or well, that the organisation says, well, actually, no functional requirements have nothing to do with the IT. Yet. It's all IT, is that? Well, oh, we have a we have a list of non-functional requirements for the whole organisation. We don't need to worry about it. Um, and and I'm, I'm I'm sure that in this case with the uh, the Excel spreadsheet that may not been the case, but it just fed to me that idea that we don't really take
0: non-functional seriously enough. So that's why I thought it would be a good topic for us to discuss. today. So so the plan today is to talk about non-functional requirements in a serious way. And, and on that note, I need to stop talking and hand over to Pete because I, I can't bring a serious sentence together for very long.
2: It, it, it's serious, but it's sort of lighthearted. Um, you know, I just wanted to give an example here, which was um, back in 2015 when the, uh, the Apple App Store crashed, when apparently, and I just need to look up, make sure I get my statistics right here, Um, uh, It was with the release of the new Kimoji app, which, of course, I know intimately, being an avid follower of Kim Kardashian, but uh, it was was something to do with Kim Kardashian. And although Apple predicted that they were going to have a spike in downloads when this was launched, um, people were downloading these, I can't quite believe it myself, at the rate of 9,000 per millisecond and you know to some extent you've got to have some sympathy for apple here haven't you you know they no doubt take non functional functions very very seriously but it's not just a case of thinking all right we're going to get a lot of these aren't we all right we'll put a non functional requirement in there to say right we need to account for big quantities of downloads or lots of concurrent hits which, you know i think it's it's more of a science than that i think you've got to kind of try and be as precise as you can You've got to build up sort of empirical evidence of, of how much historically and, and what the growth rates are. And, and I think not only is it something that people probably don't take seriously, but don't realise how complex they can be to define properly.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. It, interesting. So There's quite a lot of things, examples of things like that where people seem to have been caught out. So I think when the when the pandemic first started uh, and people weren't able to go to supermarkets, the online Supermarket presences, the the websites just crashed because there was just so many people trying to go and use them. So they had to implement these throttling systems. And I I do remember going onto one of those and seeing I was ten thousandth in the queue, and I'd uh, I can't remember how many hours it said I was going to have to wait. But I was thinking, yeah, this is this is not good. But. That was a kind of rapid response to fix um, a problem because everything was just taken down and there must be all sorts of things. And that um, test and trace thing, I don't know whether that spreadsheet was ever meant to be the live solution or whether that was a quick win that somebody yeah. demonstrated in something and they said, you yeah, let's do that. Mm-hmm. And they haven't necessarily thought it whenever it was implemented. It wasn't necessarily thought through mm-hmm. who needs to do that thinking through whose responsibility is that? Cause that's, there's quite a, brought a breadth of responsibility there isn't that <laughs> yeah With the real- i mean for for me it
1: is it is a doubt there's know, a ba i would i would want to take on that you know to me it's my responsibility to get those requirements understood and i agree that's an interesting one i hadn't really thought that the, the spreadsheet may well have been somebody just trying to demonstrate how this mm. could be done yes. um and these things run away with themselves and, and as we know that There's, is, there's is lots quite of examples, random. aren't there, of yeah.
2: short term tactical solutions that become long term strategic solutions yeah. just because
1: yeah. other and, and it's not a popular it's not popular as the B H to be the one that says, hang on a minute, let's just think about this. Mm. But that was a real live example of where let's just think about this could have saved quite a bit of passenger. I mean, who knows? It, Trying to get the overdramatic wrong, you know, it could have saved a life that right? We mm. just don't know because sixteen thousand mm. people weren't traced. Mm.
2: Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's interesting you should say about saving lives. I mean, there are some, you know, life critical um, and safety critical solutions out there that, you know, if they do get it wrong, <clears throat> can lose lives, can't you? You know, like an air traffic control system. If they get it wrong, yeah. Yeah. you know, in terms of all well, suddenly, or we can't cope with any more flights. You know, because we got that bit wrong. I mean, you know, it could literally lead to disaster, couldn't it? So obviously, you know, something like that, because the stakes are very high, no doubt these things are rigorously researched and tested and and, and what have you. But I I think, you know, sometimes maybe people with sort of everyday type applications just think, oh, well, yeah, clearly they need to do it. But we don't need to do it because it's just a simple, you know, whatever it is. But even you know a few hours of downtime, you know, can cause a negative reaction, can't it? I mean, it can be a bad image for the company, which could lead lead to a loss of business, which is actually very difficult to try and quantify, isn't it?
0: So, it's, yeah, I was just just thinking about this, and just thinking, actually, we might need to contextualise this for some people, because whilst we we're comfortable talking about non-functional requirements and and happy talking about what are functional requirements and non-functional requirements, some people might not be so. What's the difference between a functional requirement and a non-functional requirement for, for those people that might be might be confused? And w- to be honest, I might be confused after this. Who knows? I can try. I, I, one of our esteemed
1: colleagues, um, Dave Beckham, came up with an analogy. the other week when I was talking to him about this, and it's about ordering a meal in a restaurant. So you order a meal um, and you want your meal to, uh, to be nice. Yeah. You order your meal that you want, but you want it to be delivered within a certain time scale. You don't want to be waiting all day for it. You want it within a reasonable yep. 20 minutes, something yep. like that. So the functional requirement is the meal that you ordered, and the non-functional requirement is the time that you want it to be delivered. Mm. Um, mm. For, as an example, mm. um I did get into a, a, a bit of thinking about, actually, when you say I want a nice meal, whether the word nice is actually also a non-functional requirement because it's around usability.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the meal is the function of the meal, the nutrition. Yeah. And actually, yeah. the all of the, the other elements are the temperature, the, 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 how tasty it is, how yeah. well um, presented it is, which is much more, um, it's, it's quite different what
2: are your thoughts pete on that it's an interesting one i mean i i teach requirements engineering so obviously you know i'm used to explaining the party line as to what what the difference is um and you know we've got some 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 fairly clear examples but i think sometimes it is a bit of a gray area because um i I mean i've always said like you know functional requirements basically define the desired the required functionality of the solution so anything that someone needs to be able to do within the solution would be seen as a functional thing um, and then the non-functional ones are more the sort of service level requirements so it, pretty much exactly what you've been talking about really you know it's not what it does in terms of what the meal is it's it's about how quickly you can actually get that that service and things like that and, and that um, I mean there are lots of different things that do come under non-functional requirements but I think things like performance Usability, accessibility, availability—it's not so much about what the solution needs to be able to do, but it's more about the way that that is delivered as a solution.
0: Mm. Um, I've seen a a very brief um, description of um, functional requirements as the things that that it will do, and the non-functionals are how it will be. Which I think actually is is quite a—that's quite a reasonable one. Although I'm—I'm sure there'll be examples of where that doesn't quite fit.
1: Mm-hmm. The,
0: the other challenge is sometimes we talk about the the or the it is and, mm-hmm. and then you get the confusion because some of those have, there are non-functional requirements around security and there'll be functional requirements around security. So that mm-hmm. kind of blurs the lines at times. So.
2: But uh, I've had people on on courses, you know, getting very confused and we've had like examples and said like, you know, what type of requirement is this? Um, and, and sometimes, you know, people pick up on words like Uh, and phrases like on demand, you know, this facility shall be available on demand.
1: And I think, well, I don't don't
2: class that as a non-functional requirement because I think everything is on demand, isn't it? If you said that, you know, this had to be scheduled at a specific time to be initiated, then yes, you're getting a little bit closer, but there's always going to be these grey areas, I think. You know, is that actually an integral part of the functionality um, when it gets triggered if you see what i mean you know business mm-hmm. rules is another one business rules are actually to me um, integral to the functionality so i wouldn't say that they're particularly non functional unless they were a non-functional business rule like um performance and availability so i i think it is a quite a difficult area for a lot of people even people that are very experienced um you know in in the world of business analysis there's it's those gray areas that sometimes you know cause a, a lot of the the uncertainty really
1: yeah i am um, it's interesting i it, there's part of me want to say i almost don't care how you categorize it so it's more about mm-hmm. at least i want our bas to be thinking about it Yes. yeah um so knowing you know what types of non functional requirements they are that we've got to think about security we've got to think about availability and performance and things like that kind of it's about having that curiosity to ask a little bit more about mm. some of the functional requirements, so that you fully understood it, and thinking about what the business is trying to achieve with this change. Yeah, um, you know, who are the customers of this? Do they want it to be, you know, twenty-four by seven instant? Or actually, does it matter? You know, it's that that really getting underneath it, as it, because it will have an important implication when whatever it is that they're designing, the solution gets
2: delivered. Um, I think that's a good point, as you see, because I think the trouble is when when people don't have that on their radar and don't consider it earlier, it comes to light later on. If you're lucky, it comes to light during testing, yeah, um, yeah. but it could well come to light during live operational use where, of course, the, the stakes are much higher. But even if it comes to light in testing, you know, you spent a significant amount of money building something that then has to be unravelled and redone to to meet the non-functional requirements, and sometimes these are pretty fundamental to things like the overarching design. And you would have done it completely different if you'd have realised that you know you needed to achieve this level of performance. Uh, so having it on the agenda early is absolutely essential, isn't it? Rather than thinking, oh well, it doesn't matter because it'll come up later on. Well, well, no, it's it you know that's not a
1: good place to be, uh, and, and you know. But back to my spreadsheet example, it may not come up in testing. Well, yeah, because clear, clearly it's nobody pumped enough records through that to yeah. to, to get that problem flushed out. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a good point. Uh, but, you know, it, it is about thinking, back to your point, it's about thinking about
0: isn't it? So are there, are there ways that we're approaching things that it exacerbate the problem? Are there things that we're doing now that make it a bit more tr- tricky with the speed of approach the level of agility that uh, organizations are supposed to demonstrate well I think
2: something that Steve mentioned um you know about this idea that some people think oh there's this sort of central set of non-functional requirements and and, and almost it's it's kind of almost dismissive that oh yeah right we've got it covered don't worry we've got a central mm-hmm. set of non-functional requirements it's all good uh, and you know this overemphasis in some respects on user stories, which primarily are functional requirements. It's what someone needs to be able to do mm-hmm. in the system. Um, so and unless you you kind of have a way of, of thinking about it early on, like for example, you know, when you're defining that acceptance criteria and confirmations. A story, start to get it on the agenda there and think, okay, well, look, you've described what you need, but what about these things? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Mm-hmm. Um, so it becomes an, an integral part of the conversation rather than a, a bit of an afterthought. Um, you know, so yeah, yes, I think, a number it? of
0: places, a number of places I've worked at, we've built up a bit of a library of non-functional requirements, but that wasn't, that was never meant to be, and here are the non-functional requirements. It's we've learned about this stuff here's a whole load of stuff that may be appropriate and you may find there are other things that are appropriate for the specific project but use that resource rather than having to recreate something um, and and get the discussion going so so i quite like the idea of a catalogue but not as it's already done it's yeah. yeah that's a discussion point
2: it's it's a it's a checklist in a sense isn't it i mean i've got a book actually that i bought many years ago um called software requirements patterns Mm -hmm. And and actually what it is is not a set of standard uh, here are some ready made requirements for you, but it's a set of patterns. And it says, like, if you're looking at this sort of thing, these are the things you need to consider. And it is really just a a sort of more contextual checklist to say, well, when we're looking in these areas, we also need to think about these and have this conversation. And this is how you might be able to define that more precisely, um, just to have those sort of patterns and templates almost. That people can start to use.
1: Yeah, uh, Mike. I, I mean, I've come across organisations who have the central catalogue, and um, some of them just kind of assume it's somebody else's problem. But I have also seen, and I think this works well, um, organisations where they have a very clear uh, process where you take them from the catalogue, and you review it, and you go through it, and you say which of these apply to us, how do they apply, do they need, are they. Is it that requirement, or is our project slightly different? We need to change that requirement, um, and then, and you know, I think if you do that and be a bit more rigorous about it, then you're more likely to get a good outcome.
0: Mm. Yeah, you know, I think I remember many many years ago i worked in the civil service and there was uh, we had some guidance from ccta do you remember ccta mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and there were there were a set of uh, performance uh guidance so it say if it's mm-hmm. if it's something that's online you need this sort of um speed and if it was a report then that could be up to four hours or something can, can you imagine waiting that long for a report to run now but so there was there were a set of guidelines which we, we we then apply to the different situations. I'm I'm not sure. Now there's so much more stuff out there um, and so many more things to think about. I don't know you could easily do that with, with a set of guidelines like that.
1: I would always encourage people to, I don't want to use, say challenge in a harsh sense, but just challenge, is that the right requirement for us? Is it? Mm. Is that requ- the requirement might, or sorry, the, the, the catalogue might say that all our systems are available, you know, 365, 24 yeah. 7 yeah. And so on. Um, well, actually, does my change need that level of availability? Absolutely. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah. Or are there certain hours when this is required, but not others? Because that helps at least with peaks and troughs. Um, you know, the IT guys can understand how, how to configure things. Uh, it,
0: interestingly, that some of those discussions were easier to have when you say, well, if you want that 24 by 7, 365, This is how much it's going to cost. And actually, that that starts some of those discussions, doesn't it? But Mm -hmm. some of those things are not quite so easy to quantify. It's not not quite so straightforward. No.
1: And the other thought that leads off that, I did wonder if... I, I don't want to use the word complacency. These things are always... Bit judgmental, but um, you know, in this world of everything's 24-7, you know, everything's on the cloud, software is a service, and all the rest, you think, Oh, it doesn't matter, you know, you just kind of stick it on the cloud, we're fine. Um, but often when you're buying a service, the licenses are geared around things like number of users, how you know, concurrent users, how much you want to, um, and you know, it can lead to you making some bad calls when you're signing up an agreement with a software service provider. Mm-hmm. Um, either you, you end up paying too much for what you're getting, or worse, is it you implement it and you find halfway down the line you need more. And suddenly yeah, you haven't spent quite a lot, yeah. It's a good point, Steve,
2: because because I, I think you know coming down to to sort of off the shelf ready-made solutions. Which are becoming more prevalent because organizations are thinking, well, you know, why should we build our own thing when there's something that's available that's just as good? So, when people kind of evaluate those and define their requirements, if indeed they do define requirements, sometimes they think, well, this is ready made. So, you know, they're they're all much of a muchness. Let's get three or four demos in and we'll look, you know, we'll pick the one that we like best. It's probably not the most scientific way of doing it. You still need requirements so that you can, you know, do a gap analysis and decide where it meets your needs and where it's not meeting your needs. Um, But I think, again, that's one of those areas where people don't think of the non-functionals. You know, yes, you could have a tick box and say, does it do this, does it do that? But what about the non-functionals? They're they're almost like the small print that's likely to catch you out downstream. Um, And and that's just as critical um, and and as as difficult, if not more difficult to negotiate, you know, for for a ready-made off the shelf solution.
0: So I'm just wondering then, what what are your what are your recommendations, your key recommendations uh, to business analysts in the the realm of non-functional requirements?
2: Look, for for me, it's going to be get it on the agenda from the outset. You know, make sure that you've got a checklist somewhere of of you know typical types of non-functional requirements, and when you're doing your elicitation or certainly analysis of requirements go through that checklist and say, have we covered this? Um, and, and it literally, I mean, checklists are brilliant for things like that because, you know, mm. I, I'm getting older and my memory is terrible, but actually we're all only human anyway. So to have a checklist to go through, just make sure you do it more thoroughly. So that will be my top tip, I think. But Steve may have some others.
1: No, very similar. It is, it is literally to have it on the agenda um, and not be afraid. If you're working in an organisation, where typically it's not the only thing. Don't be afraid to ask, well, where are the non-functional requirements? Mm. Um, and the other one, I think, is be curious. I mean, I, I just think that's an inherent trait of being a business analyst is being a bit curious around the non-functional side of, of, of what it is you're um, defining the requirements for. Mm. You know, mm. Think about what those implications might be if, if you don't really get those things now done. Mm. Um, yeah. Maybe start the
2: conversation with you. Your more technical colleagues as well you, you know so yeah. but it's not mm. i mean ultimately yes i think you know it's something that is there for the ba to raise as an issue but bas aren't specialists in non-functional requirements no, and that's the and, challenge, um, they don't know all of the detail you know mm. they're the facilitator so have those conversations you know with the testers and with the developers or with the solution architects to say look can you help us maybe to come up with a standard template for defining some of these non-functional requirements that, that just make it a bit more predictable for, for future projects
0: yeah maybe maybe some of it is about about trying to engage people in that by making them aware of the risks or reminding them of when something mm-hmm. didn't go quite so well because of a non-functional wasn't thought about or sharing experiences from the app store or what was it you were saying earlier, the uh, the, oh, the, the test and trace spreadsheets. So sharing some of those stories um, might get people a bit more interested because it's kind of difficult to engage people in that. Mm. Anyway, I'd like to say thank you very much for raising this as a subject, Steve. And thank you, Pete, yeah. for, for joining us. Um, and, and thank you to, to all our audience as well for joining us today. Uh, what I would like to say is, well, if you do have any ideas for future episodes of the BA Brew, then please email us. We're always keen to hear your suggestions and you may even be able to join us on the show. So if you'd like to email us, our email address is babrew at assistkd.com. Thanks a lot and see you again soon. Bye, folks.
1: Thank you. Bye.